0: Welcome back to Inside the Boardroom, a podcast from the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. I'm Jamie Plusser, the Assistant Dean for Marketing and Communications. Our goal with this series is to bring you thoughts, ideas, inspiration, and points of view from business leaders and academic leaders here in Minnesota and beyond. This episode features a conversation between Shreezy here, Dean of the Carlson School, and Joe Naquineby, the CEO of Lax Corporate Ventures. Naquan Abi is a 2011 MBA grad of the Carlson School, and has risen through the ranks during his career with the Mille Lacs Band. In his discussion with Shreeza here, Naquan Abi talked about his business philosophy, the growth of Mille Lacs Band's business portfolio, and the connection to his community. The discussion was part of the Carlson School's virtual First Tuesday series. Let's go there now.
1: I wanted to start by um, introducing myself my in my language. My uh, language. Jige Wigabo and Dijna Kaz, uh Jonekwadebi Indigo, Main and in Dudame, Mizazaga Igening and Dunjaba, uh Ni Sawagnin Dana uh Ajuana Kudukwe, uh Ogama Wobikwe, Minua Ogama Seikwe, uh Niwidegeoma, Mizuzaga Igening. I like to start my presentations out by by recognizing uh, my language and the, throughout this introduction, it, it's a reminder to me and to Anishinaabe people uh, when we introduce ourselves in this way about all of the, the people that contribute to our lives. So in this introduction, uh, I introduce my, uh, my went as, which would be similar to God parents who gave me my name, Jigewe Gabo, which is he who looks out uh, over the edge. I also recognize all of my, my fellow uh, Maingun or Wolf Clan members uh, across Anishinaabe country uh, who are always there to, to urge me and push me on. I recognize Aga Eganing, which is the community that I live and grow up in uh, up here, uh, District 1 of the Mille Lacs Band on the west shores of Lake Mille Lacs. Uh, I recognize my daughters, my three beautiful daughters uh, and, and and speak their names and also recognize my wife, the the backbone of, of everything I do. And um, I told her this morning and I tell her just about every morning how grateful I am for her love and her care uh, and coming into my life. Uh, and, and this uh, introduction helps me recognize those folks. Uh, every presentation I start with and what we do at uh, Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures is we're a, we're a family first company so I have to feature my family uh, up front here and I I picked three pictures uh to start the presentation uh the the young beautiful uh girl on on the 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 left of the screen that's my daughter my youngest daughter Sienna Ogama Sekwe, um graduating from Head Start um I love that uh as a picture and then the, the wonderful uh, row of folks there, those are elders from the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe and this picture was captured uh, during the process of them writing books in conjunction with the Minnesota Historical Society where we're publishing uh, stories and capturing history of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe people and telling stories for children. And I love the dichotomy of those two pictures and it sums up the responsibilities that we have at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures, the generations that are here uh, today the, that, are, that are growing and also the generations of the past that are still teaching us their wisdom. And, and really that, that breadth of, of generations is what we're responsible for here at the company. And then I, I also shared a picture of the the new uh, Mille Lacs band of Ojibwe reservation signs that have gone up around our community uh, where the state of Minnesota has uh, recognized our boundaries once again in in our homelands and that's just an important part of of, once again of the mission of the Mille Lacs band but also the mission of of Mille Lacs corporate ventures and it feels really good to, to see those things up there so I wanted to share that as we get going here the in our company, the we really try to we try to be a career accelerant. Those are the words that we use. And part of being a career accelerant is to help folks that join Mille Lacs corporate ventures go through what we just we call it just a transformational leadership process. And in that, there are really five steps that we're asking people about every day. Uh, the first one is what are you doing to feed your mind? So how are you improving your thinking and taking in? Uh, different things to improve your, to feed your mind. What are you doing to strengthen your body? What are you doing to get in proximity of the things and the people that are important to you and things that can advance your mission? Uh, and what are you doing to give back to your communities? And, and, and are we, we have this big give, 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 give more than you ever expect to receive back kind of mentality at Mille Lacs Corporate Mentors. And then the fifth element is finding great role models. So hence the name of this presentation, which is learning from influential leaders. It's not uncommon that during our one-on-one sessions that we have with the folks at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures and the folks that report to me, that when we're not talking about business or numbers or the economy or the coronavirus or, or, or things that we're dealing with and tackling in our, in our company, we might just spend an hour talking about influential leaders that are affecting your life at this point in time. So who are those key role models that that are helping to drive or tell a story about what you're tackling at this time? So today I've kind of turned the tables on that and I'm going to share mine. And throughout the um, presentation or throughout the year, there are obviously different people coming in and out of our lives that are influencing us and different role models that are coming in and out. I'm going to share three today, and uh, and in that, pro- hopefully, tell a little bit of a story so that you can walk out of your your lunch hour today, knowing more about Malax Corporate Ventures, more about American Indians, more about the Malax Band, and, and and hopefully more about what we what we represent as as people here in Greater Minnesota. So that's the goal today, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get right at it. So the first leader I want to talk about is. John Wooden I was a high school basketball player for the great Red Lake nation so there's always there's almost always somebody um, in the basketball world that's part of my my list of influential leaders and I love John Wooden for many reasons first of all he was a winner so if you he's the winningest coach in in basketball history for college basketball won a ton of championships. Influenced a a lot of young people to join the game. And he really broadened the game. And and for those reasons alone, he's one of the greatest of all time and should definitely be on on the short list of influential leaders that we can learn from. But one of the things that I really love is the story that uh, came from Bill Walton, one of uh, John Wooden's greatest players at UCLA. And he told this story about the, that really, to me, exemplifies uh, John Wooden, but also exemplifies how we act at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures. And he had this, the motto was, control what you can control and don't worry about the rest. So it had this really stoic mentality. He knew that he couldn't control if a player was going to go off for 50 points during the next game. He couldn't control how uh, how many uh, superstars were on the team that they were going to play this weekend, but he knew what he could control. He could control the game plan. He could control how hard they were working in practice, and, and he really got down into the into the the weeds on controlling what you can control and not worrying about the rest. This, these real stoic principles. And the thing I love about John Wooden is that it wasn't just locker room talk. I've had a lot of coaches in my life uh, on the basketball court and off. And a lot of times those things are just talk, but John Wooden meant these things. And and the story that Bill Walton told in his book was about the first time. So John Wooden's out recruiting all of these great basketball players from all around the world. And then they come into UCLA and they get their very first meeting with coach Wooden, the wizard of Westwood. And everybody's just excited to meet the coach. And this is going to be the first chance for him to impart wisdom on them as they make their, their way and their effort towards the championship game. And he gathered all the freshmen around and he sat them down on the court in a, in a circle. And they looked at the coach and the coach had no shoes on. He also had no socks on. So they thought that was weird, but he said, men, the first thing I'm going to teach you is how to put your socks on without any wrinkles. He said, if you're, if you have wrinkles in your socks, and those wrinkles are are bad enough to cause blisters on your feet. And those blisters are bad enough to cause injuries to, to you. And that's bad enough to cause you to miss time on our floor. Then that's bad enough to affect the team. And that's bad enough to, fo- to affect the coach's performance. So he whittled it down. He wasn't just talking smack. He meant what he said. Everything you can control, focus on that and, and don't worry about the rest. So we kind of take that to heart at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures and it, on the screen, the if this is what the gaming landscape in Minnesota looked like, if it was just Grand Casino, um, first of all, that would be terrific, terrific for us and terrific for people in Minnesota because we do it better than everybody else. Uh, but that's not really the case. And there are things outside of our control. We have uh, 18 other Indian casinos that we compete with across the state and every one of them have gone through the same eras of of gaming that we have. Uh, We have two race uh, tracks and card rooms that we compete with. And then we also have the illegal activity of the Minnesota State Lottery that we also compete with in their electronic pull tabs and things of of that nature. So so pressure has just consistently kind of uh, made its way into our gaming business and put a lot of pressure on Grand Casino to grow things that are completely out of our control, but things that we have to keep in mind. Um, We also can't control just the the natural nature of an industry. So just like any other industry, gaming has gone through the birth stage, the growth stage, it's gone through maturity and and is in somewhat of a decline in the St. Paul region, as you can see from the the blue bar uh, on the, the blue line on the graph on your screen. We can't control the fact that our industry is just getting mature and growth is starting to slow down. We also can't control the population growth of the Mille Lacs Band. So at the same as the Mille Lacs Band has grown in population, that increases the need for us to grow as a company so that we can continue to provide resources for the tribe to meet their mission. And what we recognize really is that our core business of gaming is slowing down. And as a company, Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures had to do had to make a shift in how we were investing and what we were spending our time, energy and capital on. And and that really represents the shift in strategy that we've made in in the last eight years as we look towards uh, growing our portfolio, becoming more than just uh, a casino company and and really trying to grow uh, outside of of our, our gaming lane and into other lanes and it, it meant that we had the focus better focus on utilizing our expertise so don't you know try not to do things that that uh, we have we don't really bring a lot to the party and you know we had we had done things in the past that that were that really uh, were kind of suspect business decisions and in, in this case today our shift is really about leveraging our expertise it's about being active investors the band Already has a very uh, a large passive investment uh, portfolio, and from the MLCV perspective, we wanted to be active uh, investors. We wanted to have be able to steer the destiny of our investment decisions and, and really be uh, um, a hands-on active owner. We didn't want to chase, um, you know, we to put it in baseball terms that you know we weren't trying to hit a home run. We felt like we hit a home run with gaming. Um, so we're not chasing um, spe- speculative markets. Um, we're we're really looking at stable markets with more predictable returns, um, and, and that really leads to the the last part is that we're really patient. So we're patient in what we what we look for to invest in, and we're also long-term investors. So we take a, a much broader uh, look at the investment that we're doing. You know, we'll, we we strive to see about a thousand deals every year. And we're just kind of putting those down a funnel. So we'll try to see a thousand deals. We'll whittle that down to about 300 that we'll take a decent look at. And then we're really trying to get down to about 25 that we're doing really deep due diligence on. And our goal is to close is to close one to three of those a year. But if we close zero, uh, we're perfectly fine with that. Uh, um, we're, we're super patient about what we're looking for to invest in um, knowing that we have to grow the company, and this shift in mentality, or shift in 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 how we're doing things, and just simply that, just controlling what we can control, not worrying about what the noise is around us, uh, not not striving to be anything outside of our means, has really helped us grow our portfolio in the last year from into. Uh, hospitality sector, so growing, taking our expertise in gaming, where we're welcoming 5 million people through our doors in a non-COVID year at Grand Casinos and leveraging. We, we know, we feel like we know how to take care of a guest, how to attract a guest, um, and, and we're trying to leverage all of the expertise we have in that, um, that we've accumulated since 1991. Uh, we're in marketing and technology companies. We have a vast portfolio of small businesses in, throughout East Central Minnesota. And that's just part of our DNA. Uh, the, the Mille Band has been caring for East Central Minnesota for hundreds of years, um, even prior to the, the nation uh, becoming a thing and way prior than uh, the state of Minnesota becoming a thing. We've been here taking care of this area. And so that's important to us. And then most recently, we've entered the government contracting space where now we're, we're doing business all around the world. Um, so we've really seen some great things uh, in this. And controlling what you can control helps in this broader scale. It also helps in a in a more pinpointed uh, scale. And the Sarah, it took Sarah an hour uh, to cut this coronavirus out and put it into this presentation. So if it feels like we're jamming this in here, um, definitely trust your instincts. Um, but with that said, uh, the slide looks cool. Um, and it does bring up the point where in this pandemic, we, we really boiled down right to those core principles of how we run the company broadly um, and aimed it right at uh, the, the pandemic. It was what can we control who are the people? We knew we had to take care of our community first, the Malax Band community. We knew that the that the the preconditions uh, for the for the the, the virus um, that we had that were rampant on the reservation. So our goal was to keep the uh, keep traffic off of the reservation as much as we could. So we were the first. Um, Casino in the state to close our doors so that we could take a pause on, on our business and figure out how we could how we could reinvent what the experience is here in, in, inside of the grand casino walls. Um, we knew we had to take care of our associates, so we focused tightly on how can we get them relief from what from what we're doing and also what can we do on the federal and state level to, to battle for relief for, for our, our associate base and other folks in the area. But really, it was just this whole idea of controlling what we can control, all the way, uh, all the way down to um, just the, the finest detail um, in, in how we kind of got through the pandemic. So that's that's the summary on on John Wooden and how he's influencing us and, and helps us kind of tell a story about who we are as a company. I'll move on to this next guy, um, one of my favorite guys. This is Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, we love him, uh, and and uh, Obviously, he's super famous for the the, the show Hamilton, um, which we love. But the and again, I mean, this guy should be influencing everybody with the, the success that he has and, and and the passion that he has for what he's doing and what he's been able to do in on Broadway. Uh, but the thing that really got us and that gets me uh, was this this I was watching an interview, his interview with Charlie Rose. And Lin Manuel was talking about kind of how privileged he was that his his father and mother had worked in government and had been able to get him inside this private school in New York City. And he wasn't uh, he wasn't smarter than any of the kids. He wasn't funnier than half of the kids. Um, so he didn't really know why he was in this private school or how he was fitting in. Um, and Charlie Rose had to stop him. He said, "Lin Manuel, stop!" Like uh, if If all of these folks were so wonderful, and you weren't, well, why am I here talking to you and I'm, and not them? And he said this really profound thing that, that I just that I loved. And he said, I picked a lane and I started running out ahead of everyone else. So he picked a lane and just started getting great at what at, at what that lane was. So obviously, his lane was Broadway. He learned, And it's just fascinating. He learned all of the music, all of the words, all of the storylines, all of the plots of every single Broadway story ever told. And he learned all of that. So he just found something he was good at, found something he loved, found something he was gonna enjoy. And he didn't waste any time uh, sticking around with his peers. He just ran way out in front of something that he loved and something that he, he knew he could do. And it wasn't simply about passion. I think that's one of the things that 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 um, maybe annoys me a little bit, and, and I think we should look out for is that you hear people talk about passion, you know, find find your passion and, and pursue that thing. And I think that's just com- I, I kind of think that's that's uh, BS in in a lot of ways. I think it's really what you got to do find something you're good at, and when you find something that you're good at. Just run way out ahead of everybody else, and that's really exemplifies what we're trying to do at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures. And we we call it surfing where the waves are. And it, this is my favorite. We also squeezed my my favorite painting in here, um, which I love. Uh, but really, surfing uh, where the waves are. So let, let's not try to make anything up. Let's let's really stick to what we're good at and what we have, where we have advantages. And let's just do those things and let's not, and let's do them at a really high level. And, and that's really what we're trying to do at, at Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures. So we're in these lanes of businesses that, that we've picked and that we're trying to run way out ahead on are obviously gaming. So we, we love gaming, it's in our DNA. I tell everybody that there's no dollar, like a gaming dollar, um, The we have incredible margins. Uh, we, we love this business. We're, we're, we love the data uh, uh, that, that comes off of it. And what we're learning about our, our consumers every day is, is, is such a magnificent thing. And and, and we're trying to deliver just great products. And, and so far we're, we're only in this Minnesota market, but we have, we definitely have uh, our eyes set on at least a national level strategy uh, in taking what we can do at Grand Casino and beyond into some sort of national scale. So we're really excited about that lane. Our Mata Dizzy Investments is our hospitality company. Once again, we just love guests and we're so good at, at attracting them. We're so good at welcoming them and making them feel important and really speaking to their the, the, the human uh, instincts that people have about how, how they select brands, uh, and and that's something that we're we're, we're running out in front of uh, our marketing groups. So we've we've been we've been we're about an hour and a half away from the Twin Cities metro area. Our biggest competitor is about 25 minutes away. Um, you know they're they're light years behind us in in in, in how in how. Good of an experience they can provide, but they're so much closer to the metro area than we are. Um, So we've always been, we've always had to be this scrappy group um, from central Minnesota that's had to be better marketers, uh, better with technology, quicker, faster, more nimble. Um, So so marketing is something that we're good at, something that we love, and it's another area and lane that we're running out in front of. I mentioned our in district. uh, investing, so we love East Central Minnesota. We're doing everything we can here to represent for Greater Minnesota and trying to bring capital and bring projects into Greater Minnesota. And, and that's one that we really love. And then, of course, the Muckel Global uh, talk about talk about uh, surfing where the waves are. There's there's a twenty five billion dollar set aside annually uh, from the federal government aimed at minority and tribal owned businesses that have 8A certification. So we achieved and obtained our 8A certification last year in, in March, just before the pandemic really hit in a significant way here in the US. And since then, we've been able to, to accumulate, uh, I think we're right around 50 50 million, heading towards $100 million in contracts that we've won so far with that company doing uh, a lot of different things around the world, so we're really excited about about that as well. So pick a lane, run out as fast as you can. All right, this next guy, and this is the last uh, one I'm gonna I'm gonna share today. This is Korchek Julakowski. Um, those of you that are um, sculpting buffs, <laughs> is that a thing? The uh, he, one of the most famous sculptors of our time. Uh, Responsible and uh, for me anyway, uh, the my favorite work that he that he's done and, and started is the Crazy Horse Monument in uh, South Dakota, and the Lakota people. I mean, this is just a beautiful picture of what uh, of what's planned and what's going on there right now. But he but Korchak, uh got invited out to South Dakota uh, in the the U.S. had just finished this monument um, towards four of their greatest leaders that they had ever uh, that had ever kind of graced the the U.S. with their wonderful leadership, and, and it was right in the Black Hills, and and the Lakota people they wanted the same thing. They wanted this. They wanted to recognize Crazy Horse, one of one of the greatest leaders of their people. And they had this master vision about having a monument similar to um, similarly uh, to represent their people. And in Korchak, the thing I love about this story and about this guy is that he he got out there and he, and he looked at that mountain. like I just look at this, I'll back up to this picture. like he just looked out there. Uh, and, and he bought into the vision that Chief Standing Bear had. And he knew looking at that mountain at that time that it was gonna take him, if they were gonna do it the way they wanted to do it, which, which they were gonna raise the funds in, in uh, the way they wanted to do it, it was gonna take 50, 60, 70 years. It might take a hundred years to get this project done. And he didn't, he didn't bat an eye, he, the the why was so important for him, giving the Lakota people their, uh, their beautiful kind of tribute to their leader was something so important to him, so important to the people that wanted him to work on it, that he just, he bought into it. He knew he would never see the the end. He knew he would never be, bas- never bask in the glory of finishing the project. And that's what I love about him. That's what I love about his story, and that's the influence that it has on me and on Malax Corporate Ventures. It's about having the courage to start something, knowing that you may never see the completion. And I think that's the in today's world, we're so wrapped up and so um, enthralled in the immediate gratification you know, the social media platforms have made that. uh, So they've accelerated our, our love and want. We want the like, we want the love. We want you to hit that button. We're posting the, the burger that we ate on, on our Instagram feed. And then we eat the burger and we get done and we look at our Instagram feed to see if anybody liked it. And if they didn't, then we're taking that off, and we're posting something else, or saying something more provocative to see if we can get those likes. Because we're so after that thing, that immediate gratification, and that's not what he did. Uh, he did, that's not, and that's really not what we do at Malax Corporate Ventures. We're really focused on we're focused on the long run. We're focused. And if we see big challenges and big problems in our community, amongst our owners or in our company, our goal is to tackle those things. It doesn't make it any less important for us to tackle the big the big things, uh, have the courage to tackle something that we might not see the completion of. And the big things that uh, I mentioned on on this particular uh, presentation, I'll start out with just language preservation, like, uh, will we ever see a fully fluent Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe community? Uh, probably not in my lifetime, but it doesn't make it any less important for me to tackle that. You know, I just saw a stat uh, a couple of days ago, there are 250,000 uh, Anishinaabe people in, in North America, so between the United States and Canada. Right now, there are 25,000 of them that still speak our language and only a thousand of those folks live in the US. So amongst the Anishinaabe or Ojibwe people that are here and spread out through Michigan, uh, mostly in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, there are only a thousand speakers of our language left. I know here in our community, we just lost uh, one uh, last week, one of our our drum uh, keepers. And so, Hanging on to our language is something that's very important to us and something that we're tackling through the, the profits that we generate from Malax corporate ventures. A drug-free community, um, we're, we're tackling that. Right now, the, the, the stats are what they are in the state of Minnesota. If, if you're responding to a, a opioid overdose, it's five times more likely than any other race that there's an American Indian on the other side of that response. Five times more likely. So the opioid epidemic has ravaged our our, our communities, and and that's something that through Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures we're able to tackle on, uh, in in the tribal government, uh, tribal police, tribal health and human services divisions here at Mille Lacs band of Ojibwe and then education the the state of Minnesota I don't know what we're at right now I know we were at 49th in the country at graduating American Indian students at one point in time I think we moved up to 47 or 46 I'm not sure um, but that's a that's a serious problem I think you know we, we we have a lot of educators on on you know on the line for this call and we understand what the what the long-term effects and ramifications of that are. And that's something that we're trying to tackle. We tackle that through our adopt a school program. We tackle that through our internship program that we do for local students. Um, I'm proud of our local school district, the Onemia Public School District here, by far led the state and probably led the nation for, for uh, public schools on graduating American Indian students. Uh, in, in last year, and, and that's those are the kind of positive trajectories that we want to see in our communities, and those are the things that that we're tackling, um, or at least having the courage to tackle, in the day in, in the days that we go. And everything, once again, as I wrap up here, that we do at Malax Corporate Ventures is we do it so that our communities can continue to do the things that they love and that's the the practicing of our language the practicing of our culture um, we found this cool picture of a, a drum group at the powwow and um, and i think it just exemplifies you see the kids around um, staring in awe and, and recording the music um, these are the superstars of our of our culture and um, i think it's just a it, kind of captures in one photo the, um, the future that we are working towards here at Malax Corporate Ventures. So with that, I just want to say uh, miigwech, which is uh, Ojibwe Mowen for thank you for giving me this opportunity to do some storytelling today uh, for for Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures and for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. And I will turn it back over to Dean Zahir.
2: Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, Joe. This has been really educational for me too. Just to know how much you're involved with, uh, you know, just investing in East Central Minnesota, investing in the communities around you to uh, make lives better. I think that's fantastic. I just, uh, I just love that family first approach that you talked about, but also the lessons that you're talking about. You know, control. Don't worry about controlling what you can't control, and you know focus on what you do best and run ahead of everyone else and and uh, finally of course this whole thing about the long-term view i think that's so so special i i just uh love the lessons that you've uh, conveyed to us i i have a question i mean just which is probably a little more sort of immediate in the sense in the past one year i know the pandemic has sort of taken over so many of our lives i mean we've just just think you know just thinking about how to cope through this, how to manage through this has been such a, uh, an immense um, effort. And I was just wondering, I mean, is, is there any particular lesson that you've taken away from this past year and something that may stay with you as you go forward or is there, you know, are there things that you've done in terms of managing uh, your operations that you might you know, continue as you go forward?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there, I think there are a few. Um, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the big one that I would mention off, off the bat, I thought early on, you know, maybe three, I mean, really early on three weeks in maybe to the, to the shutdown, we were close. we closed our doors at Grand Casinos for 77 days. So the, you can imagine the, the, immense fear that we had and that the tribe had. So we serve as the tax base for the Mille Lacs band. So if you think about all of the, the the things that government does on our behalf, whether you're on a city, state, or federal level, the, the Mille Lacs band does all of that without any tax base. So they're, they're utilizing our profits to do health and human services, education, uh open community centers, pay the doctors, dentists, nurses, all of the folks that really make life possible, all the infrastructure development. So when your main life bread is shut off for a little bit, you know, it's really scary. And I I think the, uh, but the, what we did was we, we, we really considered it a, we, we looked at it as a blessing. We just pivoted. We said, all right, let's stop looking at this and being fearful, and let's look at it for as a blessing. And if it and if it is a blessing, that means that that, that when we come out the other end of this, uh, we'll be better off than we were as we went in. So I think that and that's what we did every step of the way, for every one of the businesses in the portfolio, was let's look better. If it, if that means that we need to look a little leaner, or if that means we need to focus more on uh perceived value rather than cost cutting um and, and margin, you know, uh then let's do that. But with the but the the pivot was let's not let's let's kind of let's feel let's take look at this as a blessing. Uh how often do you get to pause your business and uh and make the changes that that you might have been planning for the next five years. So I think that's kind of what we did. It was like five years uh, our five year outlook was all of a sudden truncated into, wow, I think we can actually accomplish this in five weeks. <laughs> and that's uh, now that uh, because you didn't have all of this other noise that was going on uh, around you running the business. So I think that's, that's one of the things I think. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that.
2: I mean, that's, that's really interesting. Because for all of us, you know, this pandemic is in a way has been a portal to a future and a kind of an accelerated portal, you know, forcing us to make uh, decisions that we may have taken much longer to make otherwise. So I think that uh, makes a whole lot of sense. I was also very interested in what you said about uh, your focus on one of the things that you want to focus on is education and the fact that you've had so much success with the UNAMIA schools is is great. I mean, I I think that's fantastic. I would love to know how the Carlson School and the University of Minnesota can partner with you more to sort of make sure that there is access to those students who you know, want to go on for higher education and and things like that. How can we make that happen? That's something that I'd be very interested in. But I know that even as a corporation, you've been using our executive education services at the Carlson School quite a bit. And I was wondering, you know, is it, um, you know, is is this ongoing education even within your company, something that is, you know, uh, that you invest in and how do you kind of, you know, how has it, uh, um, Uh, influenced you know what kind of what's what's the impact it has had on your leaders or on your company and 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 on the band of Ojibwe really Mm
1: -hmm. oh that's a great question yeah I think the the mentality that we have is every year you have to re-qualify for your job Uh so so we look out including myself Mm -hmm. we look out the next year for sure, but then the next year to three years, and what's going to be necessary? What are the things that are going to drive and power our businesses? And then what, what deficiencies do we have in our own knowledge? And, and that's kind of what, and from there, we we have to build a plan. Like We have to make sure we're, we're, we're dialing up to the qualifications that are going to be necessary to engage in the thinking um, that's going to really, power idea making and and hopefully influence action and innovation and across the portfolio. But you can't really talk about that stuff and and you can't really engage in that thinking unless you yourself have really invested in in feeding your mind and, and improving your skill set. And I think that's what that's what we use the executive education for. It's like the um so you got, you know, as long as Carlson's powering forward and, and being innovative, you know, that that's really such an, an immense resource for all of the companies here in the Twin Cities uh, area. And, you know, we we use it in that way. You you help us qualif- re-qualify for our jobs and the future jobs that, that we're going to have. So that's that's how we look at it.
2: Well, thank you, Joe. That's—I mean—that's actually very heartening to me because, you know, one of the things we are trying to promote is this idea of lifelong learning for our alumni, for uh, you know, for all of the companies around. So, thank you for that uh, plug, you know. <laughs> and so, that's wonderful to hear. I think at this point, I know there are questions coming from the audience, and I'd love to turn it over. So, Amy, will you uh, sort of help us with the Q and A? Of course, Joe, you're getting lots
3: of love here (laughs) through our chat and through the Q&A. Many, uh, we've got a friend of ours from Argentina, a former alum who is Thankful for your presentation and someone else that said that they thank you for your message today and it resonates with them as they set their goals and intentions for this year. So um, you're striking some chords. Um, I think folks are really interested in, you know, if you can tell us a little bit about your career path, Um, you know, how did you become the CEO and what's your career path and why kind of the quote unquote return to the tribal business?
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, the... I did it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> I started. Uh, I started from the bottom, and, and now I'm here. That's a that's a hip hop song, by the way. Um, but no, I, I started out as a as an intern here at at, at Malax Corporate Ventures, and the the fell in love with data, and and became the my first job out of undergrad was the database. Marketing manager. So my job was to pour through data and come up with crazy promotional ideas, um, and and really got lucky. I think the the industry, the the gaming industry prior to that, uh, was was a lot about guest service. So there was this incredible guest service orientation where the your whole job. And your whole organization was built around just taking care of people that were coming through the doors. You know, the big whale would come in and you'd rub their shoulders and give them comps and take care of them while they were there. Um, And then Gary Loveman, uh, who who became the CEO of Harrah's, um, came out of the Harvard Business School and he started reinventing everything. And he wrote a great paper um, in the Harvard Business Review called uh, Diamonds in the Data Mine. And that, was, and that was really signaled this transition from guest service into data science. And I was coming fresh out of college. <laughs> I knew how to use a computer and how to mine data and how to tell a story with data. So the, the job I, I got out of school was like the perfect fit for me. So I really reinvented how Grand Casinos was doing direct mail at, at the time and then accelerated up from there. I became the director of player development, which was dealing and did the same thing, applied data science to, um, to just, just to the higher end set of, of guests and, and accelerated the growth of, of the company and, um, and then became the director of marketing and the VP of marketing uh, over, over um, as I continued to climb that marketing career path. And I think the cool thing about marketers, and I'm still a marketer, I think, like I love marketing, Uh, uh, and the cool thing about marketers is that you interact with everybody in the company. Like everybody wants a piece of you because you're helping to tell the best story, uh, you're helping to build the best brands, uh, and and you're helping to really drive uh, top line uh, growth and so i i became friends with with everybody in the company built a lot of great relationships so that way when when uh, when my name was on the shortlist to become the ceo you know nobody had any fear about that and i and i people were excited about it because i was able to build relationships over, over for over a decade in the marketing lane uh, and so that's where i ascended to and the being here is 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 about really about my 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 parents. The in general, we grew up the you know, for the past four or five hundred years, my family has been serving the tribe. And the that was just a under that was just an understanding that that we had growing up was that you would go to school, you'd get a credential and you'd get some experience and you'd get some education. And then you'd bring that back to the tribe, and I owe that to my dad and my mom. I also owe that to the chief executive at the time when I was growing up, Art Gabo, whose picture hangs up behind me here. Uh, Marge Anderson and Melanie Benjamin—they've been the, the the three chiefs of our tribe since I've been alive, and every one of them said the same thing: you know, go out and get this experience that we need as a tribe, and then bring that back and make a difference in our community. So I was told that, you know. Since I was a little kid, and and that's uh, that's what I did. I listen well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you, um, Joe. Are there an is there an industry or segment that you're trying you're eyeing for future growth?
1: Yeah, I think the well, we think that the we think that there's a lot to leverage for in the the data science, particularly around slot. Slot machines. So the so how so we have a goal of really building a company around uh, utilizing our data and information that we have, um, using uh, AI and other uh, other tools that that tribes might not have access. We're we're fortunate to have access to and fortunate to have made those investments in um, in. in Our goal right now is to try to bring that into Indian country and help improve the slot machine experience for gamers across the nation. So I think we're really interested in that. We also recognize that there's there's really this, we're in this kind of era of dispersion where everything that we would typically do in a brick and mortar space is really being dispersed to to our phones and uh, so I think there's some investment that that we're going to have to make there, whether it's in sports betting is probably the first and obvious uh, place we're going to have to go. Uh, but then even beyond mobile sports betting, I think there's there's other development that's going to happen in in that in that particular area. Um, so I think as far as adding lanes, I don't think at this point in time we're not adding lanes. We're trying to get. We're trying to get deeper into the lanes that we're that we're in and trying to grow in in each of those lanes and, and they're all changing um hospitality is changing we own a lot of conventional hospitality and i think if if the if the um airbnb ipo has anything to say about what the future of hospitality is going to look like you know we want to be we want to be ahead of that and thinking about where hospitality is gonna go and, and where our future investments in that will will be. So that's that's how I would answer that.
3: Thank you. Um, we have a attendee wondering how your use of technology has possibly shifted or involved in the last year due to the pandemic. And are you enabling technology differently? Uh, and if so, how?
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, we, we've invested in a lot the I think the biggest investments in technology that that we've made in the past year have all been related to to being able to keep our grand casino doors open. So we've invested in the in non-invasive temporal scanners. So you know, people walk through our doors, um, we're 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 taking their temperatures rate right, right, right through our surveillance system and kind of following that along so we know if they're um, if they're running a risk of of uh, of showing any symptoms of COVID, so we've invested a lot in in keeping that environment safe. Um, al- also, different cleaning products that we're using to clean the casino floors and the hotel rooms, and um, like any of the weird, crazy stuff that you would think um, has evolved to to keep areas safe and clean. Um, those are really where we've been investing most of our technology um, the others I think the other investments we're making are really in, in um, artificial intelligence platforms for our data scientists so we're trying to get deeper into what we know and what we can possibly know about guests um, how can we get down to um, how can we get down to spin level data so that we're not just looking at your visit we're not just looking at your visit we're looking at all the way down to the single spin you're making when you're hitting that button on the slot machine. And what is that telling? How is that helping us tell a richer story about how we can influence your future visits? So I think those are the other deeper um, uh, investments that we're, we're making in, in technology.
3: Great. Um, do you have any plans to get into sustainable manufacturing at all?
1: The I think the well manufacturing is that's a I, I would say no I mean the short answer is no <laughs> it's hard <laughs> we try we have another rule uh, don't do things that are hard um, and uh, the the one thing from our standpoint if we were to do it uh, we would want we would want to do it on the reservation where where we could provide jobs to folks and i think one thing that we've ran into is is just what the it's kind of it kind of speaks to the education like there you know the your workforce has to be skilled enough in order to take in order to do the the type of manufacturing that you're looking for and i think that's kind of one of the things in east central minnesota that that or that we're trying to solve is how do you how do you keep more of the talent? Uh, how do you attract more of the talent back? So that way you have this big base of talent where you can actually think about other industries to to bring into East Central Minnesota. So we're we're tackling. So it's kind of like cart before the horse type of type of stuff. So what we're what we're trying to address are the deficiencies in housing. So a lot of our investments that we're making. So we. Uh, the dean mentioned Lady Luck Estates. We have another project in Onamia uh, that we're investing in. So we're really trying to trying to um, address the quality, affordable housing, um, address education, and, and I think that I think if the if we can change and alter the trajectory in a positive way on some of those things that that make for community, I think that will that will end up. That will, pro- that will lead to uh, other forms of industry that we can invest in down the road. But that's, I don't see that as a three to five year thing. That's probably gonna be more like a, um, that's probably a 15, 20 year type of thing where we'll start tackling some of that stuff. Let's see how what impact we can make on this next generation um, and, then, and then see if we can do something cool on the generations beyond that with, other industries in in East Central Minnesota. So that's how that's what my thoughts are on that.
2: Joe, I think that's uh, you know fits so well with your long term orientation. Just your investments, you know, that they you're making now to get the you know to get the educational level up and to get the you know people into affordable housing and safer housing and all of those things. I think and the idea that you're looking for not just the next generation, but generations ahead. I think that's such a great, great uh, lesson for all of us. And um, anyway, thank you so much. A hearty miigwetch. or thank you for a wonderful presentation and a conversation today. I'm so delighted that you were able to join us.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks both to Dean Zahir and Joan Aikweneby. You can find more information about this podcast, including previous episodes, If you go to our website, just head over to z.umn.edu slash boardroom. I'm Jamie Plusser from the Carlson School. Thank you for listening.